The misfits are cult rock and roll, worshipped by a few but ignored on the whole. Meet the Feebles is a film cult classic. It's basically unknown, but some say it's fantastic. Most women that I meet seem totally unfazed, till sometimes there's somebody who seems totally amazed. I might not be in magazines as a heartthrob face, but in a few devoted hearts I've found a strong fan base. I'm a cult boyfriend, not a mainstream show. I'm lonely or I'm worshipped by a lady in the know. When you're a cult boyfriend, life is always intense. They love me or they hate me, no one's on the fence. Cerebus is a cult comic book series. It's got fans, but it's never found in movies or in theories. WFMU is a cult radio station, always tuned to by a few devoted fans around the nation. For every time I couldn't get a second date or even first, why does one think I'm the best when all the rest think I'm the worst? All of those times, no one at all wanted to know. If I'm really all that awesome, wouldn't more people think so? I guess cult boyfriend is the term for me. It's always been quality, not quantity. A cult boyfriend's like a record in a bargain bin. No one knows it's worth till a collector comes in. Hmm, uh, who are some cult literary names I could honor? Maybe J.G. Ballard or Flannery O'Connor. Haggis. That's like food for cult eaters. Jim Jones, Charles Manson, Father Yod, they're cult leaders. Anyway, the point being, do I have to be magical? Can't we date a few months, then move on normal and casual? Suicidally alone and then totally smothered. It's so much pressure when you go from one extreme to the other. I guess cult boyfriend is the term for me. It's always been quality, not quantity. A cult boyfriend's like a record in a bargain bin. No one knows it's worth till a collector comes in. I'm a cult boyfriend, not a mainstream show. I'm lonely or I'm worshipped by a lady in the know. When you're a cult boyfriend, life is always intense. They're in love or they're indifferent, no one's on the fence. And this song probably ain't gonna go very far beyond an open mic. It's guaranteed, though, two or three people are really going to like it. So on this journey of trying to figure out this history of punk music, what is punk, where it comes from, I think it's really important that we understand political landscapes, the cultural zeitgeist at the time on what's going on, and for me, all roads point towards New York. And not just because I'm from New York, but that's where the folk scene was happening in the 50s through the 60s. And we had a very different experience. And we had a very different experience on the East Coast than we did on the West Coast. There's a great documentary called Dylan Roads Rapidly Changing, which basically documents Dylan's emergence into the Greenwich Village folk scene and eventually his movement towards rock and roll and electrifying folk music. And in the beginning of the documentary is a great excerpt, basically laying out the history of folk music and it getting recorded. So let's listen to that excerpt and then we'll be right back to talk a little bit about that. Covering a range of genres derived from European and African musical forms and brought to the country by settlers of various nationalities. 
Ballads, hymns, songs and instrumental styles passed on through the generations by an oral tradition, yet constantly evolving. This music was the product of the lower classes, workers, peasants and slaves. By the early 20th century, while some genres had become established in popular culture, others had remained obscure, and these caught the attention of folklorists and archivists looking to study and catalogue traditional musical forms. New advances in recording technology enabled these academics to capture the sounds of America's neglected communities, and discoveries such as Lead Belly in 1933 by father and son folklorists John and Alan Lomax brought this music to a wide audience. And in an America wading through the Great Depression, the most receptive audience to the traditional sounds of folk music were the leftists, who championed these forms that had emanated from the lowest strata of society and which had endured without the interference of commercial interests. By the late 1930s, Lead Belly himself was transformed into a heroic figure by the Communist Party of the USA, who were growing considerably at the time, and folk music itself soon became political. So Greenwich Village becomes the epicenter for folk music for all through the 1950s into the 1960s with Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, hoot nannies that are going on with all the artists at that those time at that time. And then the Lower East Side has the blowback with bands like the Holy Modal Rounders and the Fugs. And as my next artist that I'm about to interview, Jeffrey Lewis says, it was stupid music made by really smart people because folk music had become so serious and so over-politicized. This, this was the Lower East Side's contribution to changing folk music, which eventually is going to evolve into punk music. Yo, Jeffrey here. Hey, Jeffrey, it's Sully. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Um, well, this is kind of perfect because I'm just at home, so it's... Excellent. All right. So I'm going to get right to it because we already had our intro conversation and I appreciate your, your candor and upfrontness. Um, so what I'm trying to connect here is that I personally say that punk music was created in New York. My feeling is based from the roots of folk music from the Greenwich scene going towards the Lower East Side scene with your friend Peter Stamfell from the Holy Modal Rounders and he has said that the scene that happened in the Lower East Side for folk music was because the Greenwich Village scene was too serious. Now, and I know you know him, so you can correct me if I've got that wrong. And then from there, I'm taking it as... But the other quote I actually had from him was from um, a documentary. It was actually on Dylan. I actually just watched it about a week ago. And Peter had said, you know, he had heard through Dylan the world of rock and roll phrasing and folk music come together, which was, he was like, oh my God, I can't believe that these things are actually happening right now through Dylan, which gave him hope in what we, what he was doing. So my whole premise here is basically saying that the epicenter of folk music, the, the, mm. say the Pete Seeger, you know, the uh, political folk scene, as well as the lighter folk scene on the Lower East Side is the precursor to punk music, not garage rock. And so I'm breaking everything back to folk music. And so I know you're a folk artist or freak folk, whatever you want to call it. I consider you a punk artist. But I want you to just kind of speak and any feelings you have about what I said, if I'm wrong, if you don't agree with it, if you have other thoughts on it, I'm just going to let you go. Gonna let you go. All right, well, all right. my angle on that, um, although I'm no... 
ethnomusicologist, uh, and there's other people that would be able to speak about this uh, in terms of the roots of these different forms of popular music. Um, people would have more knowledge of those roots than I would. But I honestly think that it's a racial thing. Um, you've got the blues, which is black folk music, and then you've got the European and Appalachian, which is European-based um, folk music, which is more, you know, more ballad-oriented, and it does not have the, you know, the bent notes and the polyrhythms of the African music that made its way into the blues. You have two different continental cultures going back countless generations. Um, the the bent notes, which are the microtones um, and the polyrhythms. Uh, that end up in black blues music, which forms the basis of rock and roll, these things go back to Africa, and everybody knows that. Um, and then meanwhile, you have the folk tradition, which is white, and it's European, and it's British, and it's uh, it also has roots in you know other parts of Europe, um, and that has roots in American Appalachian music and the immigrants who came from those parts of the world. Um, and punk to me is rock and roll that does everything it can to subtract the black blues influence. Punk music to me is rock and roll minus the blues. It's, you know, it's a lot of other things too, but garage rock, um, is blues based rock and roll. Uh, for the most part, the way the Rolling Stones are blues-based rock and roll, the way, uh, you know, most rock bands that people think of as rock bands um, are coming from a tradition rooted in black music. Now, the truly progressive rock bands, some of the ones that are truly great, such as the Grateful Dead, they were able, because Jerry Garcia and other musicians in the band, uh, Phil Lesh, they had such a wide-ranging love and knowledge of music that a lot of different elements form, you know, the foundation of what they're doing. There's folk music in there. There's blues and rock and jazz and avant-garde and classical because they're just voracious, completely consumed music listeners and music-educated and, uh, you know, trained and you know, devoted musicians. So, and then you could also say, you know, uh, that interestingly, Led Zeppelin, um, part of what makes Led Zeppelin so awesome and so successful is that they probably had the most extreme synthesis, the most extreme welding of a purely white um, Anglo-British folk tradition with a purely black blues-based American rock and roll tradition. And, you know, a song, obviously Stairway to Heaven is the classic example. It starts out pure British white balladry and morphs into black blues-based bent note rock and roll by the end of it. And you can look at every Led Zeppelin song and see that, you know, from uh, white mountains, you know, black mountainside and white summer, which is, you know, Jimmy Page coming from the British folk tradition. Um, and they put that on an album right next to, uh, you know, 
these blues, you know, right next to, uh, I can't quit you, babe, or, uh, right. you know, these, and they did, you know, their cover, you know, when they took, uh, inspired, you know, taking jo- the Joan Baez version of, um, babe, I'm going to leave you.
like I'm a cop. A big as a tent. You don't get no shit. But just three cents. Ah. music where the crudity, the crudity of the form um, is a deliberate provocation made by people who are actually smarter than the people who are turned off by the crudity of the form. People who listen to it are like, ah, this sucks. But that just means that they're too stupid to understand that it's actually smarter than they are. Um, so that's like what you find in the rounders, in the fugs, in the gods, in the velvets, um, in David Peel in Silver Apples. This is music that is unappealing to people who are just, who are too, you know, too lame to understand that it's actually better and more imaginative and funnier and more brilliant so than the other stuff. So you're saying so, it's more of an intellectual art form than anything. Yeah, it's intellectual, but crude. It's, you know, it's deliberately stupid. Um, it's deliberately provocatively brutal. But part of that Part of that brutality and part of that, you know, part of what makes it punk music and not garage rock music is that it subtracts, it thoroughly subtracts the blues from rock and roll. The Sex Pistols are a rock and roll band that are trying, you know, you could not see them doing a blues song. That would be the antithesis of what they're doing. They're trying to take, you know, it's the whitest possible rock music. Sex Pistols are not the Rolling Stones because they insist on not faking what they're doing. They insist we are white trash and we are not going to pretend to be black musicians. So that reality, it's not, it's not a racist, negative uh, thing. It's not that they don't like black people. They, lo they certainly love reggae and dub music. And, you know, you can hear, obviously, the Clash we're experimenting with that. But yeah, the idea that like a band like the stones or the who, um, there, there's some, and a certainly every other sixties, you know, cream and, uh, all these blues rock bands that are, you know, trying to jam on the blues. Uh, 
there's something like a little obnoxious about that to our ears. You know, Clapton, why should this guy spend his whole life trying to sound like an old black blues guy? Like, just do your own thing, Clapton. Like, just find your own, you know, like, have some creativity. to Be yourself, you know? Do you think there's and a that, of being disingenuous, being a white musician playing blues? Uh, it's not so much disingenuous to me as... Um, you know, it was a necessary step. It was a necessary exploration because black culture and white culture were so violently segregated by legal and illegal means. It was like a necessary reaching across that divide for people to discover each other. Um, so that was actually very positive in a way that, you know, the music was able to bring people together. But at a certain point, it was kind of, you know, it just seems like there's more possibilities than just trying to play like B.B. King um, or trying to sound like Robert Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's just obnoxious to me what Clapton and that all those people, uh, they, they have their own, they have, they could have told their own stories, you know, and the Sex Pistols and Crass and all of these other punk bands they're telling their own stories. They're saying, you know, we are, you know, are British or whatever they are. They could have been from New York, et cetera. So that, you know, that's the difference. If you're looking at like the strains between the folk and the blues stuff and how that translates into rock and punk and even the velvet underground, um, you know, Lou Reed used to joke, like if, if anybody in the band plays a blues lick, I'll, I'll, uh, they, they, I guess I find them 15 bucks or something like there's like some, some, uh, some joke about the velvets like that. Um, and you know, John Cale was, it was Welsh and you know, he's coming from an avant-garde, uh, white musical classical tradition. And, and, you know, of course, um, you know, something like Venus and furs, that's a British ballad type, the structure is a British ballad. It's not based on the blues. It's based on white folk music and the same for, uh, you know, of course, Lou also loved doo-wop. So there's a doo-wop element in what Lou does, but they don't play blues songs. You look at every sixties band, um, and, uh, you know, the velvets part of what makes them unique is their refusal to rely on the blues. Um, uh, but and that's, you know... Do you, do you yeah. think then... But also, most punk bands draw from the 50s rock, right? Not the blues-based rock, is what, right? In the, in the 1950s. I mean, if you look at the Ramones, a lot of their... If not all their songs are based on, like, 1955 song structure. Well, you know, and they're really into the girl groups of the early 60s. I mean, you listen to the Shangri-Las, and you're like, this is basically the Ramones in a lot of ways. Um, but they're... Uh, yeah, you know, they're not bending notes, really. They're like these brutal chugging chords. And, you know, and I'm not like, you know, somebody could probably give a more accurate analysis than me because I don't know, you know, I don't really know the specifics of the, the chords or the harmonies, whatever. Like, I'm not I'm not really that musically educated in that way. And I'm, this is just my perspective as a somebody who loves listening to these records and just, like, noticing which of these records sound like which other ones and which ones don't sound like the other ones. Um, and this stuff just seems like this is what I hear when I listen to this stuff. I think you and, just distilled it down. I think you just brought it 
down to its essence about being completely devoid of any blues influence, which is for me then saying punk artists or any artist that is not doing that is saying, how can I relate to this? Cause I'm not a black person. It's just, I can tip my hat to it like Zeppelin, but they're also walking in that world of European music. Right. So Zeppelin gets a pass. Grateful Dead get a pass because it's not the sole basis of what they're doing. They're tipping their hat and acknowledging the art form, but where they're based is actually more of a European white-based musicality. Well, they're, you know, in some ways when you say that they get a pass, they don't get that much of a pass nowadays. You know, I feel like people that are really big fans of that stuff tend to be ignorant of the other stuff. I mean, and I'm as much of a, you know, I've got every Led Zeppelin record. I've got every Stones record. I, you know, I love that stuff to death, but I wouldn't, you know, I'm aware that like the Velvets, you know, if I had to say who was the greatest rock bands of all time, I mean, the Velvets would be up there for me. And so would the Fall and, you know, bands like, you know, Kraft. I don't know, everybody's got their own top 10 or top five or whatever. But uh, I think for people that are purely, you know, classic rock listeners, that's like a diminishing, that's like a pretty small fraction of the public. And it's, it's like, you know, the idea that Led Zeppelin, I don't think Led Zeppelin really does get a, you know, like to a lot of people, Led Zeppelin is not very hip. Like they're like, you know, dinosaurs connected to like an obnoxious, macho posturing cock rock thing that, um, you know, that basically the Sex Pistols and the, that wave of 77 punks like set out to, you know, annihilate and insult and tear down the uh, that kind of uh, posturing. 